community? Within which community? The, the gay community. The gay community. Uh, well, you know, it's a very good question. <laughs> I don't know that he was a part of the gay community as a community. I mean, I may be forgetting stuff, but I don't recall him being on you know, the benefits. We did a lot of AIDS benefits, and before there was AIDS, we did a lot of uh, what could loosely be called gay lib kind of benefits, get out the vote, things like that. I don't recall him being a part of that whole machinery. He may have been, and I just didn't you know, get, a, get into it with him, but uh, um, he wasn't an, an activist that I can recall, but that may just be that our paths didn't cross in that, in that area. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, I've, the gay community, so as a result, I mean, uh, it's the gay community and the show business community in LA are, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're one and the same, uh, for me at least. I mean, I didn't know at the time, a lot of gay people who weren't in show business. So uh, I don't know how he, <laughs> how he fell on them. Uh, I just, but I know how the show business people felt. They felt the way everybody in show business felt. It was, uh, he was a, a fabulous curiosity. And uh, I think a guilty pleasure. People sat home and watched him on Theta Cable and, uh, and talked about that. And, and a lot of times, you know, he interviewed people who people of a certain age wanted to, to hear. So um, there would be talk about that. But uh, it was kind of just like, this, this guy is amazing. He doesn't give up. He's just, he's in there. And there was, a, I think, a sort of tacit understanding that there was a ceiling on the kind of thing that he could do and the kind of character he could be. Do you ever get the sense that Skip could have broke through at any point to me, it seemed like it could happen. He just needs one little bump that, you know, he, he could be, you know, the, the, the where's the beef lady, just like that. <laughs> well, maybe, did he try for that? I mean, if he, if he had gotten a thing like that, sure. I mean, because he didn't have a marketable talent, you know, uh, that he could use to put together his own show. Uh, but he could have become a, a thing of the moment, a flavor of the month, and parlayed that, you know, into into more stuff. Right. Did you ever go to any of his birthday parties? Probably. Probably. I was probably not alone. I probably brought Mary Jane with me. And uh, because of that, I can't remember much of that. <laughs> Speaking of, of Mary... Uh, Skip seemed to call everybody Mary because he had difficulty remembering people's names. Well, you know, it was Mary. It was a very gay thing. Mary. Oh, oh, Mary. And, and the boys in the band. There's lots of people. Oh, Mary. It was a, 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 a common gay uh, catchphrase. In fact, there was a great, a, a great joke. There used to be a, a lesbian bar on Santa Monica and West Hollywood called the Palm. Not to be confused with the steakhouse, it was the palm. And uh, the joke was uh, uh, this gorgeous girl walks in and sits down next to this heavy butch lesbian. And, uh, and the butch lesbian says, what's your name? And the girl says, Mary. And the lesbian says, Mary, that's a guy's name.
Did you do you do a skip impression? No, I I really don't. Marty, <laughs> I leave it to Marty Short. I mean, he's and he's only doing a partial. The the funny thing is that he he made Jiminy Glick fat. Of course, there was never an ounce of fat on Skippy that I can remember. But then Merv was a little pudgy. So, but he had, he used Jimmy's, uh, Skippy's voice, that high-pitched sort of, you know, what do you think happened at MGM? You know, that kind of, and, uh, and uh, his, his attitude was very much, you know, that, that he would ask a question and have a face of incredible concern. You know, waiting for your answer, no matter what it was. You know, it was like, with Lassie a bitch. You know, expecting a serious answer. Did, did, uh, did you know he liked gambling? He liked playing the lottery? No, I, I did not. Yeah, one of his favorite pastimes. Well, is that, I don't even know if that's gambling. That's just like crazy. craziness. People go, it's for the kids. <laughs> exactly. You know. School goes to school. It's for the kids. Was there a sad side that you ever got to Skippy's existence? Um, I, not specifically. I just always thought that there was a, a sadness underneath. That there was, he was always kind of uh, um, living by the seat of his pants, you know. And uh, it never struck me that he had he was uh, uh, flourishing with abundance. <laughs> You know, it was always like scratching out an existence. And uh, how many cliches can I throw into one answer? And uh, that I thought was sad. And I thought it was because, but on the other hand, he was what he was. It wasn't like he was suddenly going to, you know, become uh, head of DreamWorks. I mean, it wasn't like somebody was going to bring him in to produce something. Uh, it was, I mean, he, was, he took it as far as he could take it with producing those showcases. So, and, and everything was hard scrabble. I mean, when you look at how he made his, his success, it was schlepping the palm tree into the studio in Santa Monica and doing that. I mean, it, he was literally a homemade superstar. You know, it's interesting. I had a girl in the other day, different show, and I said, so what do you do? And it turns out she's like a little, you know, she's a YouTuber and she's got a big following and I said, so, she said, I'm a social influencer. And well, yeah. Well, that's what they call them. They call them a social, and it makes me laugh because, uh, I mean, some of them are. I mean, I'm sure that, that the stuff that they put on YouTube that's seen by millions of millennials does influence people. I mean, but, I mean, Madonna is a social influencer. Madonna's also a singer, a dancer, a writer, a producer. You know, those people are social influencers. They, I'm going to put on a pink pussy hat. I'm a social influencer. That's different from actually being a creative uh, uh, being and monetizing it. On the other hand, the way the world works now, you, if you get enough hits on YouTube, somebody will pay for you. I mean, we're looking at the Logan Paul thing. Somebody will pay for you to be around because of the people who are influenced by you on YouTube. I think Skip was born too soon. All those people on public access are now on YouTube. And uh, it, the thing about YouTube is the kind of people who never would consider going on public access back in the day will go on YouTube. Because among other things, you don't have to schlep the palm tree to Santa Monica. You can do the whole thing from your bedroom <laughs> with your phone.
So that's how the world has changed. But if she was a social influencer, what was Skippy? Because Skippy was doing that. What would, what would Skippy's title be? Because uh, he was a, he had influence too, right? I think that was his only cachet was the influence the influence in terms of. I don't know. Do you think? Well, I think. Well, influence. I mean, I th I think. Let's say in my case, I think. That's the wrong word. I I think that people saw me on Theta Cable, who would not have seen me otherwise. I don't recall anybody calling me up and saying, uh, I saw you on the Skippy Lowe show, I want you to write for me. That didn't happen. Um, so, uh, but I'm sure there were people who said, oh, you know, I, I saw you on this thing. As I said to other people too, I don't remember anybody coming out of any of those showcases and happening. Uh, on the other hand, you look at social influencers today, I mean, if, if two million people view your video, when I, I did a parody of a, of a sneaker video, which was seen by millions of people, and I still get people who, t who talk to me about it. You know, I mean, I did it as a favor for somebody, and I, I wish I'd gotten paid for it, because so many people have seen it. So that's how the world has changed. Do you miss Skippy Lowe? Well, I miss the idea of it. I, I, you know, I miss those days. Uh, life was simpler then. You know, there wasn't a 500-channel universe. I mean, it's you know, nice now that you can, you can vote for the Academy Awards and never go out of the house because everything is, you can watch everything on your computer. You don't actually have to go to the movies. That's nice. As I get older, that's nice. But I do miss uh, the... the the social action that was actually, the social interaction that was actually human as opposed to clicks online. And uh, part of that, there was an innocence to all of that that was, uh, that was kind of amazing and, and that has gone. I mean, there's something, YouTube now is it's very calculated and people show up on it because they know they're gonna get an audience. But back then when you turned on that public access channel, and you just never knew what was going to show up, and you were agog, because we had only seen professionals on television. We had never seen all these people who decided they need, they wanted a television show. And so it was, it was kind of mind-boggling. And now it's, you know, it's not mind-boggling at all. It's, it's kind of like what you expect. You know, you're just lucky that they don't flash <laughs> on YouTube, or maybe you want them to flash. I don't know. It's, yeah, I mean, my, my biggest thing about Skip is his, his intestinal fortitude that the show must go on. He had his show, and then he had his showcase, and it, it was just the thing yeah. that just kept him going. And it was amazing that he could pull it off with, with really no budget. Yeah. It's just him. He was the whole company. Right. Uh, I think, I've, yeah, I got uh, just, you were talking about Jimmy Glick. Yeah. When Skip first saw it, he was offended and felt ripped off. And it wasn't until Romeo told him, look at his name. It's Jiminy, Skip E. Jim, he hadn't made the connection. And from that point on, he was praising Martin Short and saying how nice it was that, you know, somebody was noticing what he was doing. Well, when you get well-known and people start doing parodies of you, 
I, I, you never like it. I mean, it's like you look at these things, you're going, what is that apparition? Is that what I look like? Is that what I sound like? When I was on Hollywood Squares, all kinds of people did me on, uh, Chris Farley did me on Saturday Night Live, Horatio Sands did me on something, Will Sasso did me on Mad TV, and I would look at them and go, am I really like that? And of course, yeah, they're doing a parody, they're extending your mannerisms for, to, to be funny, and uh, to be funnier, and, um, that goes with the territory. You just have to say, yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, it happens. Well, you know. I think there's a beauty in that. That if you if you were able to leave a real fingerprint of yourself, and it was so tangible to somebody that yeah. they could rip it off and add to it. Yeah. I mean, that means you did your job. I, I it means yes, you are you're kind of indelible, and uh, yeah. So it's it when you look at it that way, you say, but it's great that they're doing it. It's you know it's flattering and all that, and uh, um, <laughs> Jiminy, you know, I mean, one of the things that makes me laugh about Jiminy Glick is that he's named after a cricket, he's named after a Disney character. And it's a combination of Jiminy Cricket and Sammy Glick, who is what makes Sammy run. Sammy Glick is the quintessential, horrible Hollywood uh, rat race ambulance chasing, sell you down the river. He would sell his mother to an Eskimo tribe for blubber. And uh, so that they combined these two characters, Jiminy Cricket and, and Sammy Glick, to get the name. Um, he, you know, he's parodying quite a few things, but it, it does owe heavily to Skippy Lowe. The funniest part is that most people don't know he's making fun of Skippy Lowe or, even, or doing an impression right because they don't know about, they don't know Skippy Lowe. That's Years before on SCTV, he did a character called Skippy High. Really? And he did it with, oh, well. with the white hair. I mean, it was really down to looking exactly like Skip. No. He played kidding. a guitar. And, you know, he that was the genesis, I guess. He must have seen tapes. Because <laughs> they were, SCTV was in Canada. They were in Edmonton most of the time. But they came down here. Read about people. It's, it's like I would read about people from the Golden Age who didn't leave much of a footprint. I mean, he at least left a couple of books that we can read. But, I mean, even the, even the most powerful people of that era, Luella Parsons and Hedda Hopper, are remembered for specific things, but they are not remembered in the great sense when you talk, when people think of Hollywood, because uh, that their audience has died away as they have died away. So. You know, it's unless you leave something, uh, a body of work, I guess is what I'm looking at, that, uh, that people can refer to constantly, you become one of those many names that uh, you, you were colorful and you were around and, um, uh, and everybody's got an anecdote, but you know, everybody who's got an anecdote is getting older. And pretty soon they won't be around to tell them, and so unless it remains in books and stuff. So, I mean, he, he never, I mean, he never hit the big time, but he was, everybody in the industry knew who he was. Uh, and he, oddly enough, has been memorialized by Marty Short, because when, whenever they ask about him, about where did Jiminy Glick come from, he always credits Skippy and, uh, and, and Merv. <laughs> Merv, who did hit the big time, is not 
all that remembered these days. You know, you if you it's not a name that you drop like well Merv said, and you know, uh, uh, younger people at your table will say Merv, <laughs> Merv who? Yeah, because there's no current Merv that they can refer to instantly. If like if there was a Merv Jonas from the Jonas Brothers, they would assume you were talking about him. Right. Well, it's interesting that you say you have skipped the body of work, and it didn't really come to my realization since he kind of handpicked me to do his documentary. Uh huh. Um, that I always thought he was kind of a hoax, and he had these stories, but I never really, I only half believed them. Well, like, yeah. He'd say, "I just, I, what'd you do this weekend, Skip? I was all weekend. I, I was over Jackie Stallone's house, and I went to these parties, and it was, every week it was some other celebrity." Turns out, like, that was her best, his best friend. And all, he was actually telling me the truth all along. But I never, I never really realized that. And then all the shows in our library of 20, 30 years of taping, and then all the libraries that he visited all across, you know, L.A., this guy's got thousands of shows. And, and, and with YouTube and, and with, the, you know, the, the aggregation of all those shows, this guy has a whole second life once we find those missing Valanche tapes. <laughs> well, that's a body of work, you're right. And uh, you're doing a documentary about him, so it will be incorporated in the documentary, which could open up a whole new thing. Um, it wouldn't be the first time that that's happened, where, where people uh, are brought back by, uh, by a movie that's made about them. Right. I mean, their fame happens after their death. Yeah, I mean, this, this sounds bizarre, but in the 70s, when Diana Ross played Billie Holiday, a whole generation of people who didn't know who Billie Holiday was, because they weren't necessarily jazz followers, but they suddenly discovered her through Diana Ross. And that gave all of her record sales a second life, back when there were record sales. But it also, I think... Uh, gave people a reference point so that they can never now say uh, Billie Holiday. Uh, Billie, I mean, it, she keeps coming, Audrey McDonald did her on Broadway, and so, I mean, she keeps coming back because she is, you know, genius. Um, but I think it happens in, in many areas, even with people who really were legitimately famous and not just famous in the industry. What, what did you feel like when you got that call from Skippy Lowe looking, wanting to be on his show? What was that? What, what did it, I mean, I'm really curious. Uh, well, you know, at the time, I wasn't like, getting a lot of calls from people saying, we, need, we want you to be on, <laughs> on the show. And I sort of thought, okay, I'm, you know, obviously, I'm, it's public access and I'm publicly accessible. So, uh, and I, mostly I just thought, well, this is going to be a hoot. I mean, because we watched the show and the show was such a scream. And I thought, I can't believe I'll be sitting there in, this, in the, you know, the same chair as Marjorie Maine or I don't even know if you had her on, but people like that, Spring Bynes and, <laughs> you know, Lesbians I Worshipped, 101. Uh, I don't even, you know, I, I, I just thought it would be a, a hoot and just funny to be there, and so I was, I was happy, to, happy to do it. Oh, yeah, I had, so many, I had so many friends, kind of Hollywood guys, get me on the show. i got to be on Skip's show, please. Well, you know, I mean... He was a part of, it's so unkind to talk this way, but he was a part of a kind of, uh, you don't want to say underbelly, you don't want to say demi-monde. I mean, there, but there's a whole other kind of Hollywood 
that is not the Hollywood that people see on television and in the movies and even in the tabloids. I mean, it's that it's that kind that grasping sort of people. I want to be a star, and I'll do anything to be a star. And so they create a culture in which they are stars. And he was part of that. And people who were on it, but people who didn't really, who all had day jobs because they couldn't make a living acting or singing or dancing or even producing. So they all had other gigs, you know. Many of them had real estate licenses, <laughs> the, the good ones. Uh, and there was that whole kind of subculture. And part of what connected them to rea the reality, to real stars, was that there were all these older people in the business who weren't getting work anymore, but who were names and wanted to, you know, to have you around because you were, you know, you, you reminded them of who they were and who, and who they still could be. And, and you know, there's, there's a very unpleasant side of all of that, but at the same time, it was a lot of fun. The, the unpleasantness is, is a lot of people were fooling themselves. They thought because they hung around with somebody that they were somebody. And, uh, and the harsh reality hit them at some point, and that would be the, the unpleasant part. Skip, to me, was like, especially you know, if you go back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, Skip was, he was a real poster child for, uh, you know, for homosexuality. He was, he was, he had no problem discussing it whenever it happened, and he was on the yeah. air. He yeah. would go overboard, and it was, he was fearless. Yeah, he was, he was never in. He, he was always sort of out in there, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was. It's, uh, it's you know, so much of uh, the gay experience involves self-loathing, and uh, especially among people who were around, uh, who were older. And, I mean, young, younger generations, you know, like uh, the Olympic skaters this year in, in South Korea. And they're out, and they're proud, and they're fabulous, and they're great. You know, they're figure skaters, they're not terribly masculine, they are who they are. Back in the day, people like that, and Skippy was like that, where it would be, yeah, it's great that they're out, but it's like, we don't want them to represent us because we want to be as normal as possible. We want to be just like everybody, all the straight guys. And now that's changed. Now it's, uh, uh, you can be who you are. And it doesn't matter. Everybody is an individual, and uh, everybody has different styles. And so the, the, the judgment has stopped. But uh, when he was around, it, uh, everybody, I don't think he got credit for being out because it was like, well, he couldn't really pretend he was straight. So he, he grabbed it by the horns, you know. So, I mean, I, I did it myself. So uh, I... But people actually did think I was straight, which, of course, amazed me. But then, you know, what can I say? I am an actor. I don't know. You've got that manly voice. I have that deep voice. What can I yeah. say? Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and he did, and, and uh, he, had, he had what he had. But it's interesting how the times have changed, and it's, obviously it's changed for the better. And, uh, you know, younger people who are watching this don't, you know, don't really know what I'm talking about, because, you know, thank God they've grown up in a different situation, so.
Right. Well, that's what I mean. Having having survived that and 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 never really wavered from it. I don't think it was just his. his yeah, he, he he had his mind made up that that's how he was gonna portray it. And then he was always on defense, trying to. We did PSAs, and whenever something awful happened, you know, a death or a suicide, he was really moved by it, and he had to like do a public service announcement or just do a show just dedicated to that. Yeah, but uh, I always I always admired that in Skip. Uh, who do you think um, Skip got his inspiration from? Uh, that's a very good question. I mean, uh, I would say Merv because his style was similar to Merv's, Merv Griffin, not Merv Jonas, Merv Griffin. But um, uh, uh, it's a very, I don't know who he, I never, we never discussed it, but, uh, and I don't know who was doing that. I mean, it could be that he was doing it in the style of someone that we don't know and that we probably wouldn't recognize because he was doing it in his style. Right. I mean, might, you know, he might have thought he was being Mike Wallace, but he was Skippy Low being Mike Wallace, and this was what it was. Did, did you get a ride home with Skip after? No. Was no. that a euphemism for something? No, because Skip would always, yeah, it was always strange how shows ended and what, what would happen with Skip, because usually Skip I walked. I, I think I drove him home, you should pardon the expression, a couple of times. Right. I from uh, probably uh, if we were out in Santa Monica. I know I I've, I once picked him up. He was on Sunset and he was just standing there, and uh, I, and I came up to the light. I was driving. And I came up to the light and he was standing there and he said, "Hi, can you give me a lift?" And I gave him a lift. I forget what it was, but uh, um, and I think I probably drove him home at some point. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, that was the kind of sad side of Skip. I'm like Skip, you don't drive. Nope, never drove. Never gonna drive. I'm really a New York boy, you know. He's like a lot. Of, you know, Nathan Lane doesn't drive, <laughs> right. unless maybe he does now, because you know he has a house on Long Island. So maybe I don't think so though, because he does a he does a he does a routine about his dog, uh, Mabel, who's a, a French bulldog, and uh, he's written a couple of books with his husband about Mabel, and one of the jokes is uh, truly from life. They go out to the house on the island uh, in a black car, in an Uber black, I guess. And um, as a result now, whenever they walk Mabel and a, a big black car comes by, she heads for it. She assumes it's her car. Come to take her to her summer home. Wow. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now if you, if, what, what should, what should, uh, which we flew his ashes over to Santa Monica. You did? Today. Oh, yeah. cool. But if he had a if he had a gravestone, what would Skippy Lowe's gravestone? What should what should have been on it? <laughs> Skippy Lowe, Hollywood. What happened? <laughs> uh, you 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 kind of alluded to that you guys talked. You had a friendship. What kind of stuff did Skip share with you? Uh, we talked about. I'm trying to think. You know, mostly talked about, he was like a lot of uh, people uh, who were in that end of the business where they were promoting constantly, promoting himself. I mean, you know, that was his lifeblood, it was promoting himself because 
nobody was prom else was promoting him, so he was you know out there all. So he was always talking about upcoming projects and things, and and then he would ask me about if I knew this one or that one he wanted to get in touch with, and and all of that, and uh, um, and then he would tell me about various. Uh, uh, young, you know, young singers that he had working that they were they were coming. I had to come to the showcase. He had a showcase for a while. I think at Hamburger Hamlet. Or was that right? Am I right there? He was, I think, up on the Hyatt on Sunset. The Hyatt on Sunset. That was. Oh, that's where it was. With, with, yeah, it's now the Ondog next to the Comedy Store. He had one there, and he wanted me to come to that. And I remember him. I think he had one in Studio Studio One, maybe. Hard to recall, but um, he was always. He was always in full promotional mode. Then the book, the book he was you know, promoting a lot. And uh, how was he, you kind of mentioned it, but how was he viewed? So tall. Her hair is not as tall. <laughs> she was well, just out here for a book signing. She wrote a book mm -hmm. about Rhonda. Yeah, about her life uh, as a beauty queen and stand-up comic and then now selling underwear on HSN. That's, of course, she went into yeah, telemarketing. Where is she living? Is she up north somewhere? Fort Lauderdale? Oh, she's down south. Yeah, she lives right near the studios for HSN, I guess. Wow, I forgot I did see her on that. I loved her. We did Circus of the Stars. She did a web act. <laughs> She could be in Cirque du Soleil. She was very dexterous. But she's also really funny. Point of reference: Romeo's dad is Timothy Carey. Did you ever see uh, Paths of Glory? Or uh, I did. Or One-Eyed Jack. Yeah, I saw that. Romeo's Brando was in, was in all those films. Romeo's dad is the one who squashes the cockroach in Paths of Glory. Ah, Kubrick. Travis Kubrick, right? Yeah. Did he work? Was Timothy? Was his name he used? Yes. Timothy Carey. On Paths of Glory? Yeah. yeah. Kubrick met his wife there, too. Sorry? Kubrick met his wife, too. She's the only woman in the film. She sings at the end of the film. Ah. Yeah. I was going to say, how did you meet a girl on that set? But yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
I never uh, did. I ever meet? I never met Kubrick. Uh, the stories are incredible. Oh yeah. Tom uh, Tom Gib Thomas Gibson uh, is probably best remembered. Well, uh, a Dharma and Greg. He was Greg. But he's been on. He was on uh, Criminal Minds for years. Was in um, The Shining, not The Shining, Eyes Wide Shut. Flew over to London, and uh, one day he had a, a a scene, and the 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 entire the shot was uh, he walks down a hall to answer a ringing phone. He answers the phone, says hello. Fifty-two takes, and he said. And then I finally went to Stanley and I said, "What am I doing that you don't like? That we have to keep reshooting?" He said, "Oh, don't worry about it. Just keep doing it. We'll get it." Fifty-three, fifty-four, fifty. About fifty-seven takes. Finally, he said, "Okay, I think that one's good." Fifty-seven takes of walking down a hall and picking up a phone, and it wasn't like. The light was wrong, or somebody farted, or a plane went over, you know, or he tripped, or his fly was open. Every take was just like every other take, he said. But that was that was Stanley Kubrick. He just said, and finally he went to him afterwards. He said, "What was that about?" And he said, "I, I want choices." It was just, he said. Just nuts. He's just. He said, and now he's, he didn't have a big part in the movie. He only worked a few days, but it was stretched out to weeks because everything took forever. Anyway, that's not about Skippy Low, but. Well, it's interesting because I ran into, I interviewed uh, a guy called Mike Rips. And Mike Rips was an Indian, uh, independent producer from Mobile and Alabama. He made a couple films. He's like a, uh -huh. a B movie guy. He made a movie called Poor White Trash. It was originally called Body and starred my dad and Peter Graves. Uh -huh. But um, he, my dad introduced him to Stanley Kubrick, and he said, he said, Mike, when I make a movie, the most important thing about the movie, and the only thing I care about when I make a movie, is Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> he says. The only thing that I want anybody to remember about this movie is Stanley Kubrick. Well, it's interesting, right? Were, uh, in, and that's hey, really what you think. That is, that's how people get to be who they are. Right. I mean, that's type A personality. and Directors especially. I mean, Richard Lester said you have to be a megalomaniac. You have to listen to what everybody says and then do exactly what you want. He said that's the trick, pretending that you're, that you're interested in what they have to say. Right. If you don't know what you want, you're in bad trouble. Said, but if, but you know, the directors go into it knowing what they want. Sometimes they, they create physical evidence, like Hitchcock with the storyboards, so other people can be on board. Right. But a lot of times it's just them with the thing in their head. But it's there, and it doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> Precisely. That's, yeah. All right, I think we're about ready to grow. Mm -hmm. um, so here we go. I'm going to mark this. This is uh, today is uh, February 16th, 2018. We're in Studio B, Beverly Hills, with Bruce Belanche, and for the Skippy Low documentary. 
Could you give us uh, the spelling of your name for credit? Certainly. And, and what you want as if you have a moniker that goes underneath. Oh, I don't know. It's V as in voluptuous, I-L-A-N as in Nancy, C-H. Uh, and it's valanche, like avalanche, just not spelled that way. Uh, I guess you would just say uh, writer, actor, comedian, uh, any of those, stripper, you know, any of that stuff. Probably writer, actor. And how do we contact you for a premiere? For? For the premiere. Bevalanche at AOL.com. Very good. But you know that. You've been uh, contacting me all week. Not you personally, Romeo, but right. <laughs> other Romeos, if you catch my drift. <laughs> Not too many Juliets. Now, do you give but us permission? The Romeos to, are fine. Do you give us permission to use your footage? Your Absolutely. Footage? Okay. Certainly. By the way, I'm a big fan of yours. I grew Thank up you. with the Hollywood Squares. You wore the Hollywood Squares. Oh, God. Well, you thanks. You and Paul Lynn, I mean. Well, you know, that was. I actually wrote for him. That was uh, really? at the tail end of the original Hollywood Squares because he was also on Dami and Marie, which I was writing. So uh, I would go over with him to squares and write some stuff. And then I kind of became him uh, <laughs> 20 years later. Soupy? No, it wasn't Soupy. He was he was uh, Pee Wee. Charles Charles Oh Charlie Arquette. Charles Pee -wee. Nelson Riley. That's it. Charles Nelson Riley. Well, Riley's. he was the Paul Lind of Match Game. Yeah, was he on Hollywood Squares? No, he was, was he okay. was Match Game. Okay, he was he may have been on it once. Yeah. I mean, uh, the original version. Yeah, we ran fourteen years oh the first God, version, but watch. he was on Match Game. That was right. what made him a TV star. Right. So they weren't, I don't think, going to cross breed. Right. They had Paul. Okay, it was Paul, right? Okay. Yeah, there we go. But yeah, you'll never. You're ingrained forever in that. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm ready to start. Uh, could you take me back to where you first learned about Skippy Lowe? Um, where did I first learn about Skippy Lowe? Well, I guess uh, back in the Paleozoic period, when cable television first started, here in Los Angeles there was a thing called the Z Channel. And the Z Channel was where you got to see all the, the movies and... Uh, in, in the privacy of your home, uncut, unedited, uh, and it was the beginning. It was before HBO. It was uh, all of that stuff. And it was run by a company called Theta Cable. And as part of Theta Cable's charter, as with all the cable companies in those days, they had to have public access channels, which meant that you could go down with a dollar and a half and sign up and have your own cable television show. And Skippy Lowe was one of the people who did that. And I would watch him on the other channel. There would be Z Channel, which was the prime movies, and then there would be the public access channel. And uh, uh, we'd look at the public access channel, and every half hour there was another show done in a studio, and I would, be, I would guest on a lot of those people's shows. Um, and Skippy Lowe was the most interesting of them all because his was a, sh a show business show. He was doing uh, an interview show, but unlike all the network 
and syndicated interview shows, he was interested in people of Hollywood's golden age, who nobody was, else was interested in because they were too old and out of circulation. Uh, and he was interested in young up-and-coming people who couldn't get a break on the Johnny Carson show or uh, the Merv Griffin show or other things like that that were happening. So he had a fabulous uh, retinue of people. And he also had the most bizarre interview style. I mean, I was not the only one watching. Martin Short was watching him, too. And of course, Marty took elements of Skippy Lowe and merged them with elements of Merv Griffin to create Jiminy Glick. Uh, but it's not far from the truth. Skippy Lowe had the strangest, the, the most severe extreme close-ups of anybody I've ever seen. I mean, it was his face filled, this is before high definition. God knows what it would look like in high def, but his face filled the screen and he would have people on like, like Ann Miller and uh, Gloria DeHaven and these MGM stars who were all a little older and all that had worked. And I mean, they would fill, the, it was, it was some points it was actually kind of terrifying because they were, it, were, it was too close. He wanted to back away from the TV. Uh, and he would ask them these questions in complete earnestness. And they were always these abstract questions. He would say, Dolores Gray, Hollywood, what happened? And then they would cut to Dolores Gray. They had two cameras. They would cut to Dolores Gray's camera. And Dolores Gray would be sitting there going, she didn't know what happened. What did, he, what did he want to, you know, he wanted to ask her, oh, what was it like uh, doing a belly dance in Kismet? No, no, no. He wanted, you know, he was the big picture. And uh, we, it was the late 70s. We were all uh, doing a lot of chemical additives at the time. And if you were, if you were stoned at the right level, it was, it was a surreal experience watching this on TV. So, of course, we would, we would gather. We didn't have a VHS yet. So we would gather at a people's homes to watch this thing. You know, we'd all toke up and we'd watch Skippy Low because it was just so bizarre. And then, of course, uh, I was on TV at the time on the midnight special on NBC, uh, late, late Friday nights. And so I got a call from Skippy Low asking me if I would come on his show. And I couldn't resist. And I don't know where the tape is. I never got a tape. But I remember we, you had to schlep out to Santa Monica to a little studio. and. Uh, and it was a bare studio, and everybody brought their own set. So first you go in, and, the, and it was, everything was a half an hour. Boom, half an hour in, 10-minute changeover, another half hour. So everybody was in the waiting room with their set. So there'd be a guy sitting with a palm tree. There'd be somebody else with a big neon sign. And they'd all be waiting to, to go on. And so you ushered in to do this thing. And of course it was, it was the two cameras. And... Uh, and it, they were, it was just as I had pictured it. It was, it was kind of actively terrifying <laughs> because you knew everything you said was in this gigantic close-up. And so, you know, I mean, uh, uh, before I left, my friend said, uh, are, are you just going to, you better pop all your zits before you go because everything is going to be seen. I mean, everything, it's going to be that extreme. And one of the questions he actually asked me was, he said, Bruce Valange, Hollywood, what happened? <laughs> Fortunately, I prepared myself for it, so I, you know, I had an actual uh, elusive answer for, for what had happened. And, uh, and mm, mm, a lot of that, a lot of that, a lot of that. And it was, uh, he wasn't, uh, he, was, he was more 
educated and uh, knowledgeable than Jiminy Glick. I mean, the joke of Jiminy Glick is, you know, he'll say to Steven Spielberg, you know, you're really talented, Steve. I'm just waiting for the picture that's really going to click with the public. You know, oblivious to the fact that he's had 17 hits. Uh, Skippy Lowe knew who everybody was. He knew what they did. I mean, and, and he knew stories about people who you had forgotten ever existed, and they were fabulous stories. Uh, but So I always had a good time. I did his show several times. Um, and then he began doing uh, showcases. He took some of this young talent that he had on the show, and he kind of parlayed that into being like the Ted Mac, the, uh, which was the precursor to American Idol. He was being like sort of the, the, the gay showbiz Simon Cowell and running a, a, a showcase out of nightclubs for up-and-coming performers. But, you know, they were all musical comedy types. And this was an, an age where opportunities for musical comedy types were shrinking. And uh, so it was kind of sad because it would be a, a parade of, of girl singers getting up and singing, I've got to be me, I've got to be me, you know, with false eyelashes and false boobs, and they've got to be them. Uh, so it was, it was, it, there was a strangeness to it, but, you know, uh, Pauline Kael wrote that Hollywood is where you can be encouraged to death, and uh, that's what was happening. I mean, everybody said, oh, I've got to, I'm going to be singing at the Skippy Lowe Showcase, you've got to come hear me. And I thought, you know, I, nobody who can give you a job is probably going to be there. But you came to Hollywood to sing and to do, you know, to be in musicals that aren't being made anymore since Xanadu. <laughs> so, you know, good on you. Then um, those, are, those are my principal memories. <laughs> Skip, when, when you think of Skip and Skip's kind of place in... Uh, in the in the in the Parthenon of uh, Hollywood, where where does he where, where does, what space does he fill? Oh, you know, it's awfully cruel to to say somebody's a footnote, but I mean, he wasn't in the mainstream. He was one of those characters who were on the Hollywood scene, and you 